The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Good morning once again, and welcome to this incredible Mile High Church. So good to be here. And I want to begin by asking the the question of, of who in the last hundred years has had the greatest spiritual influence on culture, society, and most of our lives. <laughs> there, could be, there, there could be a lot of answers. You know, I think of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Dr. Ernest Holmes, uh, Billy Graham, uh, Oprah Winfrey, um, all sorts of folks. But I'd like to make an argument, obviously, today, uh, that it might be uh, the Beatles. So many millions of records sold, such an influence, not just in providing a soundtrack for so many of our lives, uh, but providing inspiration and teaching us how to view love and life and uh, how to be in the world. And you know, I think there's the, this thing where we sometimes don't equate music and wisdom, which I think is a, a mistake. You know, we, we often think that wisdom needs to come from a, a guy who likes to stand up and talk in front of people for 25 minutes or so. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> uh, Reverend Josh, it just really touched me when you said blah, blah, blah today. It really just opened my life, you know. And you know, uh, in, in the Bible, scholars actually believe that the, the oldest material that made its way into the Bible was, is actually in the, the, the book of Psalms which translated means the songs. Uh, They believe that's the most ancient wisdom that the Israelites had in in moving things along. And that's the wonderful thing about music, you know, is that it carries through over time. If you could just read a few lines of John Lennon's Imagine, and you might remember a little bit here or there, but if you hear it a few times, you know know it by heart, you embody it, you can share it with your, your children. Uh, it goes on from generation to generation. So there's something really powerful about song. Aldous Huxley once said that next to silence, that which brings us closest to God is music. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I believe that. Uh, another question I want to invite you to consider today is, when was your first understanding of the infinite? When was the first time you saw something and got an inkling of the miracle of life? Maybe it was seeing the mountains or the beach for the first time. Maybe it was praying in church. Maybe it was a, a moment with family. You know, For me, my first idea of the infinite came when I encountered my dad's record collection. Because <laughs> he had crates and crates of records um, all over the, the walls. And, um, you know, if you were born after 1990, I want you to show you one of these things. <laughs> so, there you go, right? And it's really amazing. You have this uh, piece of vinyl here, and I don't know if you can see it, but in between these, these grooves are these incredible stories, these incredible messages about how to live, about how to die, about love, about loss, about how to have a good time and really enjoy this thing called life. And my dad's record collection was dominated by the music 
of what was called the British Invasion, which were English bands who were inspired mostly by the rhythm and blues taking place in America, which happened to get its inspiration from gospel music, which happened to get its inspiration from those psalms that I was talking about earlier. You see, there's a spiritual thread that runs through it all. And so my dad's record collection was filled with bands like the Kinks and the Rolling Stones and the Dave Clark Five and the Animals and even Herman's Hermits. (laughs) Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. I promise that's the only song you'll hear me sing today. (laughs) But the, the, the kings of the record collection were the Beatles. Those were the records that weren't allowed to be taken out of the room. Those were the sacred artifacts. And growing up, listening to the Beatles was church for me on Sunday morning with lessons about love, life, spirituality, and growth. So they taught me so much of what I know today and what inspires my ministry. And so I'm grateful to share about them today. I want you to know I don't mean to share about them in a historical context. I'm not here to talk about Maharishis and Yoko Onos and all of that kind of stuff. I'm here to talk about the metaphysical meaning of these individuals uh, and their music, their metaphorical meaning. And so I'd like to begin by actually talking about each beetle a little bit. And you can actually tell a lot about a person by who their favorite beetle is. Does everyone here have a favorite beetle? Okay, how many Paul fans do we have? The cute one. Paul, okay. I love you. Right, okay. <laughs> so it's a church, you can't throw stuff on the stage. I just want you to know when it comes down. Okay, how many John fans? All right. George? All right. And Ringo. All right. Good to see some Ringo fans out there. And so for me, each beetle walks their own spiritual path within the time of, of the band, which is really a short time. They've, only, they've been broken up almost 50 years now. And so first I'd like to talk about Paul. And for me, Paul's path in the Beatles is all about his evolution in understanding love. The evolution of the understanding of love. And the band's still out here and they're going to help me with this. But for me... Um, Paul's initial understanding about love is really well expressed in one of his most famous songs, Yesterday. Yesterday All my troubles seem so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday So beautiful psalm, but you can see there kind of a limited understanding about love. First of all, he equates it with the past. Love is in the past, and he equates it with an individual who's obviously broken his heart. So it's, it's sadness. And as he shares in the song, too, it's a game that we play. So for me, that's, again, a beautiful psalm, but, but not a deep understanding of this thing called love and what it can do. So Paul's next leap in spiritual evolution and his understanding of love, to me, is well expressed in the song, I've Just Seen a Face.
I've just seen a face I can't forget The time, a place when we just met She's just a girl for me And I want all the world to see we've met mm-hmm. Had it been another day I might have looked the other way And I'd have never been away But as it is, I'll dream of her tonight Die, 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 die Falling, yes I am falling Keeps calling me back again. Falling, yes, I am falling, and she keeps calling me back again. Beautiful. I'd asked, I'd, I'd asked to withhold applause, but no, beautiful. And, and did you catch that line there? Had it been another day, yesterday perhaps, I may have looked the other way. And I would have never been aware. But as it is, I'll dream of her tonight. And so clearly, love is still associated with the, uh, the female form. But again, for Paul here, he's beginning to see that love is also a, a presence. A presence that doesn't come to us automatically, but is something that we have to be present to, ready for, aware of, in order to cultivate in our lives. And so Paul keeps evolving. Uh, Eventually he learns to see that love isn't a process of falling into anything, but rising through and up through anything to have greater and greater realizations of love. I feel his largest evolutionary leap comes in the song, Here, There, and Everywhere. I want her everywhere. And if she's beside me, I know I need never care But to love her is to know her everywhere Knowing that love is to share Each one believing that love never dies Watching her eyes and hoping I'm always there I will be there And everywhere Here, there And everywhere Is there a, a sweeter or more profound understanding of love than to realize that it's here, there, and everywhere? Is there a sweeter or more profound understanding to have about spirit than that it's here, there, and everywhere? And yes, it can come to us through a person, but ultimately, it's not something that's just within us. It's something that's all around us. If we're willing to evolve our own understanding to a point to live and participate in it. Paul's final evolutionary leap in love for me happens in the song, Let It Be, where love begins to take the form of the divine mother, always available, whispering words of wisdom in his times of need. When I find myself in times of trouble Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be And in my hour of darkness 
me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be 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 Whisper words of wisdom Let it be Let's hear it for this incredible band. Tom and Jennifer, thank you very much. We'd be here for a few hours if they did the songs with everything we're talking about today. So, so that, that's Paul. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about John. And for most of us who know John in a casual way, we think of him as kind of this uh, all-loving hippie that writes these really spiritually inspirational songs about love. But if you listen to the Beatles' records, you realize that he's a split personality. On the same record as the beautiful In My Life is a song called Run For Your Life. On the same album where he croons, don't you know it's going to be all right? He also croons, I'm so tired. I'm so lonely. I want to die. Even when I hang my rock and roll, he says. And so his spiritual path within the Beatles is all about what Carl Jung termed individuation. That idea of taking the opposite sides of our psyche and integrating them together. Eventually, on the last recorded Beatles album, Abbey Road, he comes together. He realizes who he is and goes on to write probably the most beloved song in history, um, Imagine, for all of us. George, his path in the Beatles is all about finding his true voice. And can you imagine being an up-and-coming songwriter and you've got to present your songs to John Lennon and Paul McCartney for approval to get onto their album? <laughs> it was a steep hill to climb, and he, he does it. And he does it through doing something really unique. He writes some regular songs, but in particular, he starts writing love songs to God, to spirit. Have you ever stopped and sung your favorite love song to God? Have you ever stopped and perhaps imagined the divine singing that love song back to you? It's a powerful experience, and that's what George, in a sense, does. Uh, That little darling that they sing about, and here comes the sun, that's the divine. He wrote a beautiful song called Something about the way that moves any of us when we realize the divine presence in our lives. He discovers his true voice, and to me, um, it's no coincidence that in his solo work, he writes what I would call his masterpiece in My Sweet Lord, a song that's without any allusions towards the divine presence. Now, Ringo. Let's talk about Ringo. Can't go on and on too much about Ringo, other than to say that, to me, he's kind of all of us along for the ride. Ringo's kind of the every person, and the thing that's so vital about him is that the Beatles don't really find their success until he joins the band. There's something about a missing piece and something about his lightheartedness that helps the Beatles take off. And so, without further ado, I'd like to share with you um, the Beatles' Ten Commandments according to Reverend Josh. I don't, know what, I don't know what happens if you don't follow them. You're forced to go to a Nickelback concert or something, whatever they say. Um, but, but here we go. Commandment one. Can't buy me love. The Beatles' first commandment is a warning against spiritual materialism. You know, that's when you walk into a supermarket and there's a soft drink that says peace of mind on it. 
Or, you know, when you see that, that commercial for the pills and they're out there in their bathtubs underneath the sunlight and you're like, oh, it's making them so happy. You know, when, when, when pills are promising you happiness, that's spiritual materialism. So the Beatles, who were great capitalists, uh, would, would tell us to never purchase anything unless you can first find the quality you want it to bring you within yourself. Because you can't buy love. You can't buy happiness. You can only cultivate it within yourself. Commandment two, think for yourself. What a novel spiritual idea. I mean, how many churches out there this morning is the minister getting out, out there and saying, my message to you today is to think for yourselves. You know, you can count them on my two horns. You know, there's not, <laughs> not too many, but there's a, a powerful spiritual message in this idea that the Beatles understood that the greatest gift God could have given us is our own minds. And it is only through our minds that we can understand, that we can grasp, that we can embrace. We can only know the divine as much as we take care of this thing called our minds and seek to expand it and deepen it. No matter what type of spiritual truth someone tries to give you, it will never go beyond your own ability to understand. It's an obscure Beatles song, but I almost think of the line coming from the divine, think for yourself because I won't be there for you. I don't take that to mean that the divine isn't with us always, but that the divine has given us the gift of this beautiful thing called mind to use in our lives, to grow and use the gifts that God has given us. Commandment three, tomorrow never knows. The Beatles liked to play around with malapropisms, Ringo Starr especially, and so he wrote this song title, and a malapropism is when you take an everyday phrase and you replace it with a different word. So the phrase was probably initially, tomorrow only knows. But I think the Beatles hit upon a profound idea in saying tomorrow only knows, because how many of us depend on tomorrow for our answers? How many of us take the responsibility of the present away and wait for tomorrow to solve our problems for us. By embracing the idea that tomorrow never knows, it forces us to realize and understand one of the most important spiritual understandings that there is, the understanding of the present moment. To be in the now. That you will never get anything if you can't have it now. That you will never know anything if you can't know it now. That that love, happiness, peace that you're looking for if they're, not, if they're not now, they're never going to be now. They have to be right here. Commandment four. Nothing is real and nothing to get hung about. <laughs> From Strawberry Fields Forever. Both Tomorrow Never Knows and Strawberry Fields Forever mark the Beatles' path into psychedelia, we might call it. <laughs> Their inspiration of the, of the counterculture. But with that also came some deeper spiritual understandings. The idea that this material reality that we all experience is real, but there's also other layers. There's also a a deeper story going on. There's more to us than just the trials and tribulations and even celebrations of our life. There's a deeper story about our, our own being, our own soul that we have to uncover and remember. Dr. Ernest Holmes in his Declaration of Principles. He says, We believe the ultimate goal of life 
to be a complete freedom from all discord of every nature, and that this goal is sure to be attained by all. We believe the ultimate goal of life to be a complete freedom from all discord of every nature, and that this goal is sure to be attained by all. You know, as Samuel L. Jackson would say, that's a bold statement. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's powerful, isn't it? The idea that we're all on our way and we'll all get there eventually if we remember the deeper realities of life. And not just that there's a deeper reality taking place, but that it's good. That it's for our good, for our understanding of love, for our spiritual realization, for our spiritual connections, that there's a power for a universe greater than we are and, and it cares about us, that it's up to bringing forth our good. And this leads me to the, the next Beatles commandment, the fifth commandment, don't you know it's going to be all right? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes if I'm struggling and I'm in a grumpy mood and someone says to me, you know, everything's going to be okay, or they say, um, everything's going to be all right, um, I like to say, how do you know? You know, but they're, they're expressing this deep spiritual idea that there is a presence for good that's always with us, that's guiding us, even in the midst of challenges. Many of us suffer from the condition known as paranoia. That's where you believe that the universe and perhaps everyone in it is working against you. I like to think that we religious scientists, uh, we suffer from that condition known as pronoia where we believe the universe and everyone in it is working in our favor, in our benefit. I don't know about you, but I could suffer from a little bit more pronoia in my life. It might be a good thing <laughs> to realize that, yes, we live in a realm of opposites, but there is something that transcends that, that holy presence, that deep good, that love that is greater and more powerful than anything that might be opposed to it. Commandment six. Obladi, oblada, life goes on. This is the Beatles' message to us about eternal life. And they don't talk about heaven. They don't talk about something in the hereafter. But in this beautiful song, and again, this is the power of a great song, they express the idea of eternity being in the present moment going to the marketplace, playing with the band, being with family, experiencing our, our eternities today. Uh, Joseph Campbell, the great Joseph Campbell, tells a story that I always loved about being at a wedding and hearing the priest say to the couple, may you do everything in your life today to ensure your eternal life tomorrow. And Campbell thought to himself, there's something about that that's not, not right. What I wish the priest would say is, may you do everything in your life now to experience your eternal life today. Because that, again, is the, the power of understanding your connection with the sacred. The power of holding on to those connections, all those we've ever loved, all those we ever will, is to realize that through the willingness to be fully present, to live in this eternal now, there's that separates from us, that it's always right where we are. Obladi, oblada. Commandment seven. All you need is love. The most essential commandment. 
And if you listen to the words of the song, being John and his split personality, it can actually be taken a little sarcastically. Nothing you can do that can't be done. Well, okay, why do it? Nothing I can sing that can't be sung. All right, why do it? Nothing you can do, but you can learn to be you, John tells us. And there's something powerful in that message, not just about the power to utilize love in your life, not only that it's the most powerful spiritual tool for creativity, for connection, but it's also the gateway into our own uniqueness. It's when we truly love that we're living on high instead of on low in our lives. It's really when we love that we bridge the gap between who we thought we were and who we really are. And we touch upon that unique gift the infinite has inserted in each of us. And we begin to cultivate it in our lives. That's the power of love. Commandment eight, come together. Again, this is a, similar to what Carl Jung called individuation, bringing the parts together. You know, I always struggled in my life. Remember those cartoons where they'd have an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other? You know, I'd like to think over time that my angel's grown a pair of horns and my devil a pair of wings. The idea being that as you move in the spiritual path, understanding morality is one thing, but at some level we have to understand either we're a sacred being or we're not. Yes, the universe is for me and not against me, but can I be for me and not against me? Can I recognize that even in the places of shade within me, I'm still worthy of love? I'm still worthy of God's grace. So this to me is that message of come together for all its juju eyeballs and all those wacky song lyrics. It's that process of full self-acceptance. Am I willing to stand naked, literally and metaphorically, and love myself as I am? Because until I do that, God cannot truly love me in a way that I can experience. Until I can do what God has already done, I cannot truly live completely. I cannot truly live that whole life. If I just keep the holy as a compartmentalized aspect of my life, I'm keeping myself out of living fully. I've got to let it into every aspect of my being, even the parts that I don't like. Remembering what the great Carl Rogers said, when I accept myself as I am, it's a curious paradox because then I can change. That's the power of self-acceptance. Commandment nine. Let it be. The Beatles comment to me on forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I, I tend to like to control things. <laughs> I've mastered the art of being a control freak at times in my life. And the reason I do that is because I, I don't trust. And I'm easy to, to sometimes blame others when I'm in uh, a, a difficult or challenging place. But I love the message of let it be because it's not telling us to let something go, to forget about it, to just release it forever, but to let it become. It's an amazing thing when you're struggling in a relationship in your life or you're waiting for something big to happen to actually not walk away, but just to let be. To realize I've tended to the soil the best that I can. 
that I realize that not just me, but something bigger than me is working in this situation. To know that I can actually trust perhaps someone around me to get to the right position. When we let something be, we give it the space to breathe and become what it really can be. Doesn't mean it doesn't disappoint us at times, but it gives us the best chance to releasing the practice of control and living in full trust in our lives to let something be and become what it can be. Commandment 10. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. The love you take is equal to the love you make. This, for me, is the Beatles' evolution of the golden rule. The golden rule teaches us, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But the Beatles are saying, you can't have done unto you what you are not willing to do for another. It's a powerful comment to me about living for a cause greater than yourself. For being willing at times to put someone else's needs above your own. To realize that if you really want to be blessed in your life, you've got to be willing to be a blessing. If you want to be blessed, you've got to be a blessing. We never know where we're going to be called to be that, but we have this tool, this willingness to love, this willingness to create, that's the most important commodity of all. What did Brother Lawrence said? All you can take with you is that which you have given away. That's the call to be a greater presence, of greater service, of greater willingness, wherever we are, realizing that that act of selflessness is actually the process of stepping into our greater self, a greater way of being for you and for me. So as we move into prayer this morning, I just invite you to join me in recognizing the, the overall lesson that the Beatles and all of the great spiritual teachers have really taught us, that it's all about love. That our ability to grow and create and become in this thing called life is based upon our willingness and ability to step fully into love and practice it in our lives. I invite us to take a moment to think upon those whom we care about most and ask ourselves, how can I best love them? Not just this week, not just this month, but right here and right now, how can I best love my loved ones? Let us bring ourselves to mind and the circumstances of our lives and ask ourselves, how can I best love myself today? How can I best love my life? Knowing that love is the most creative power that there is, I know that as we practice it, it brings forth all that may seem now hidden in the hidden invisible. I know that it comes forth in incredible ways, a letting loose, a calling forward, an embodiment of that seeming missing ingredient that just called for a little bit more love. May love be the beginning and end of each and everything we do in our lives. May we also bring to mind any area in the world, any person we know who could use that love and know its presence right there, guiding through any obstacle with us all the way. 
giving thanks for divine love, giving thanks for the miracle of life. We allow it to unfold moment by moment as fully possible in this present now to receive it, to be it, to express it in great celebration. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.